Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. All right, we are live here aboard Mighty Sparrow. Today I have a very special guest. I'm only going to say his first name because we're going to keep him under wraps, but uh, I've got Chris, a fellow marina um, guest down here. Chris, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. I know there's going to be quite a few people that uh, listen to this one, especially because it's you, because you have <laughs> such a fan base out there. But um, I guess uh, first and foremost, dude, how, how did you end up down here? Or no, before that, what what's your uh, what are you floating on over there? Oh, right now I have a hundred thirty one uh, in nineteen eighty six that I picked up in Miami, Florida. Um, but before that. I actually got into sailing. I was in Fernandina Beach, Florida, managing a bed and breakfast, and the owners were selling it. And I was managing the place, and I really was tired of like bartending and bar managing and staying up till two in the morning. So th- when they sold the place, I had a little bonus. So I always wanted to, I always wanted to live on a sailboat for some reason. I kept looking at them online and looking at the layouts. I'd yeah. never been on one. I was like, oh, man, that would be so nice to live on one. I could go anywhere I want. The so, ultimate dream of freedom. Yeah. I ended up, I I bought a generator, a little Honda 1000. I bought a little dinghy with a motor. Um, I bought a little handheld GPS, and then I started looking on eBay for, uh, like, auctions on sailboats. Oh, okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I finally... Uh, I kept bidding, and I knew I lowballed everything, and I knew I would never win. And I had this Catalina twenty-seven that came up, and I bid twenty-five hundred dollars, and it was a no reserve, and no one else bid, so I won it. Oh wow! And it was in Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh no! Now what? I bought this thing. So what do I do?" So I took. <laughs> what have I done? I went to. Um, I went downtown Fernandina, and I found a sailing school, and I took three days of sailing lessons. Oh, you didn't know anything. You just had the dream. I'd never been on a boat. Good on you, man. Yeah. I like that. So I won this boat, and I was like, "Oh gosh, now I have to train myself." So I took the little three days <laughs> of sailing lessons, and then I had a buddy of mine who was from Switzerland, who had come down. And uh, he was a bartender at the same place where I was working, and he didn't want to work there anymore either. So I was like, well, I just bought this boat. Let's go get it. Yeah. It'll, it'll take two weeks. We'll, we'll go up there. We'll... It'll be a ball, man. Yeah, yeah, bunch of beers. Be easy, easy. <laughs> so I had a savings account, and but I only took $800 with me, and I was going to save the rest. And I thought, well, if we don't make it all the way down, we'll just stop somewhere and work. And he was like, oh, that'd be great. You know, we'll do. You know, how, we'll how old were you when you did this? Man, I was probably... Can you remember that far back? Oh! 28. 28. Yeah. Oh, the glory I'm 48 days. now, so this is 20 years ago. Wow, wow, nice. Yeah. You don't look a day over 31. <laughs> well, thank you. Just saying. <laughs> so, yeah, we jumped on a Amtrak train, and we went up to Baltimore. And I... Uh, oh, I, I had an old girlfriend who was driving somewhere up there. I think she was going to Maine. So we packed all our stuff in her truck, and she drove up there. And then two days later, we jumped on this train. We went to Baltimore, and she met us up there. And we unpacked the dinghy. We had like a little styrofoam cooler. We had some food. Yeah. And we were going to start from there. But I got there, and the boat had no anchor, no radio, no <laughs> dock lines. The guy wanted his dock lines back, no fenders. So I had to buy all all of the all these things. Um, so the $800 went to... Like two hundred and eighty dollars I had. Yeah, I'm just left. trying to make it worthy mm-hmm. of the intercoastal, <laughs> not even seaworthy. So I was like, okay, now I definitely know we're not going to make it all the way down. We're going to have to stop and work. So we ended up the next morning. We get in there, start the little outboard up. It wouldn't run. Trying to crank that for like half a day. So finally, we took the outboard that I had from the dinghy. It was a nine point nine. So we just put that on the back. And I knew that would work because it was brand new. So we started that up. We went off the dock. I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to steer around. I had We had no charts. Um, <laughs> I didn't think we'd need a chart because we had a road map. And it had the like the major buoys on it for the, oh, really? for the Chesapeake Bay. And I thought that'll be fine. 
So we go oh, out man. there, and the first thing I do <laughs> is I go off to the right and I ground the boat. I ground the boat and I didn't tie the dinghy out, and the dinghy came off and it was floating away. Right. So Goran had to jump in the boat, get the dinghy, go back. We were trying to reverse forward, reverse forward, turning that thing. Finally got out. Um, got out of Baltimore and got into the Chesapeake Bay, and then a storm hit because we hadn't checked the weather. Right. We, we no. hooked the radio up, but I didn't weather? know. Weather? What's weather? Yeah. I didn't even know we're the there was a weather station on the radio. I had no idea. I knew 16 was hailing. My road atlas isn't showing the weather. Yeah, and the guy <laughs> I bought it the guy I bought it from when he gave me the title, he, he told me what channel the bridges were on. I can't remember if it was 9 or 13, but I knew the bridges and I knew the hailing. So we just left, and then, of course, the storm came up, and we just got pounded. We didn't put the sails up because I, I was nervous about driving right. the boat. Oh, so yeah. we were, it was a tiller. And we just got pounded for like eight hours we were out there. We had to refuel, and we had tied the extra fuel cans up on the bow. So Gorman would have to go up onto the bow in this huge storm. He was just getting beat, trying to untie these fuel cans and bring one back and then fill up the little six-gallon gas can we had in the cockpit. And uh, we got to probably 10 miles north of Annapolis, and – we were so beat down and tired, and we didn't know what to do. So I called Boat US and had them come out. And oh, t- and we, just tow yeah, you. We weren't stuck. We weren't anything. We were just like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. It's the first time on the boat. I think I'm we might here. die. Like, there's a yeah. chance that we might die, so. No, we thought for sure the boat was going to sink. <laughs> no, it was fine. It wasn't even that bad of a storm. But the first time being out there. it's Oh, it can it be very, rough. yeah, it's, it's like uh a big shock to the system when you get when the weather turns on you for the first time and you're sort of whoa okay yeah that quick especially oh. when you leave and it's sunny and beautiful and two yeah. hours later yeah. you just see that rolling cloud come in many a sailor is turned back to shore <laughs> never to go to sea again oh <laughs> uh, well we called good old boat us yeah. and they ended up towing us into uh Annapolis into Bat Creek where Bert Jabin's marina was. And we had gotten in there and we had we didn't want to stop and have to pay for a marina. So we were like, Oh, this is fine, this is fine, just you know, let us anchor. Yeah. So we anchored and uh signed a little thing. He took off. We were just like, ha, ha, ha. So we slept um that night and all the next day. We were like, All right, look, let's just stop here for a while. Yeah. And we'll get jobs. So we went around Annapolis. Let's rethink jobs. our life decisions at <laughs> yeah. this point. Hey, let's get that get that microphone. Pull it over that way just a little. This way? Okay. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, we ended up getting day labor jobs in Annapolis, Maryland. Oh, nice. And, uh, okay. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, it, it was terrible because we had to get up at 3.30, and I think you had to be there by 4, and you had to sign in. And then you would wait to see if you got a job that day. Oh, and, oh I used to do that in Fort Lauderdale. You stand on the corner. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, for the first two days, we didn't get a job. So we were like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And like the third day, we had talked to the lady. So she got to know uh, us. She really liked Gorn because he was from Switzerland, big, tall, like Nordic, good looking guy. So right. we flirt with her. So she got us a job at the Naval Academy uh, raking leaves. Oh, like we would go. rake leaves, yeah, and they, they had like blowers and and all kinds of like machinery, and all these other guys would drive the machinery, and our job was just to rake leaves. So we ended up doing that for two weeks, and it was kind of off and on. I'd rake leaves for like an hour, and then I would just go walk around the Naval Academy because <laughs> I was inside. <laughs> yeah. It was like a museum. There right. were old cannons and statues and plaques everywhere. So we ended up. I think it was about two weeks we stayed there. Well, those kind of jobs, I mean, typically, yeah, I, I can remember being pretty downtrodden when, yeah, I would get passed up for a few days. But then as soon as you hook into a job, if you have two brain cells and you work hard, yeah, then you're then they gonna, start loving you. Yeah. Because you show and up they every want day. You there all the time, yeah. Yeah. So we did that for for a time until we so that got you back on the boat yeah we each we each made like four or five hundred bucks a piece i think so we were we were ready to where was the destination were you trying to get back down to florida yeah to fernandina beach okay so you had a long way to go yeah and we thought we were gonna just jump in and cruise and (laughs) and, and yeah we'll just uh, set the sails and crank back watch the sunset (laughs) so we ended up taking off again and uh, I think we made it all the way down to 
It wasn't Wilmington. It was a Mason borough in North Carolina is where we finally stopped going down the intercoastal. And I had bought a little old GPS. I yeah. had bought charts. We had charts, uh, the three chart books. I think one was like the Chesapeake Bay, and then one was like Norfolk to Fernandina Beach. Oh, yeah, 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 the, the coastal charts. Yeah, I bought the one from Fernandina Beach to Miami just in case. So we had charts, and I had the little black and white gps with the it just had the two black lines oh, and you put a waypoint in yeah yeah yeah. which i'm so glad i started off that way and because you really had to learn how to read the charts and know the waypoints and you know it didn't have any topography on there so you didn't see the shores or water right i mean you could be in the desert with that thing did you see the same two black lines straight telling you go this way follow follow the line yeah so we made it all the way to to Masonboro, and then Gorin had to go back. He had his green card had expired like a couple of months before, and he had gotten a DUI in Fernandina Beach, so he was nervous about getting back, which he should have been. Yeah, he, rightfully so. Yeah, he as soon as he got back, he uh, he went to court, and they arrested him right there. I bet they did. Yeah, took him to Miami. He had to spend six months in jail before they deported him back to oh, Switzerland. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my. Gosh, yeah. Well, you you definitely don't mess around if you're if you've got expired anything and you're you know an immigrant here. Oh man. Yeah, especially with the DUI. I think he they probably would have let him stay or not deported him if he didn't have that DUI. But the DUI sealed his fate. And they, well, especially too if like if he got that and then I'm assuming he probably what busted didn't uh, go. Well, to yeah, court. he got the DUI and didn't go to court <laughs> and then tried to go three months afterward and be like, oh sorry. And they were like, oh. I don't yeah. understand your funny yeah. rules here. <laughs> and they're like, let us explain. <laughs> so I lost my crewmate and I had to go. I ended up getting a job in Wilmington, too. I went back to Fernandina for a while because I had a girlfriend there. I spent like three weeks with her. And then I came back up to Wilmington and got a job in a little Italian restaurant. And again, I, I worked there for about three weeks until I had just enough money to to get out of there get moving pay the, again. pay the dock because we we put the boat on a dock so i had to pay like the back dock so i paid the dock rent saved up some money and then made it to fernandina beach and uh ended up selling that pearson um and then Wait, did the same thing. catalina was, this was a pearson 26 oh, oh the second boat i bought was a catalina 27 Hopefully gotcha. I, yeah. Right. So I sold the Pearson 26 and then I bought a Catalina 27 in Solomon's Island, Maryland. So I went all the way back up to Maryland again. Why don't you buy a boat like it's Because it was an you. adventure. I oh. didn't want to buy one near <laughs> okay. me. I wanted to buy one far away yeah. so I could sell back. I understand that. Okay, gotcha. So I went up to Solomon's Island, Maryland and then um, got a job for a while up there. This was in October when I went up there. Oh, so you're still tail end of the hurricane season, getting ready for gale yeah, season. Yeah, super cold, super cold. I remember when I got the Catalina, it was on the hard, and the guy put it on, put it in the water with the travel lift, and I went out and I anchored over by Zanheisers, I think, and it was like 11 degrees. Ugh. So the whole time I had to spend in the sleeping bag. I was yeah, always in yeah, that yeah. bag. Stove is on low, just like, oh, mm-hmm. oh man, it's freezing. And again, I didn't have any money, so I ended up um, in Solomon's Island, Maryland. There's like a tiki bar there that opens up. Um, I worked, I tried, it, it opens up in probably April, I think. Yeah. And then 100,000 people come to this island, and it parties on, and then the season starts, and from there on, it's busy. But when I got there, it was dead, so I got a job in a little Italian restaurant, and I think I worked there for a week, and I waited on one table. Oh, really? Yeah, six nights I worked there and no one came in the place. And then I, had, I think I had one table one of those nights. And so at the end of the seven days, I had met another guy who worked at Spring Cove Marina in the service department. So he was like, well, we need somebody to paint boat bottoms. You know, we got to get all these boats ready. So. <laughs> Just to pay more than $2 an yeah, hour? Yeah, I was like two thirteen. I was making. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I, was, uh... I jumped on that. And that was a terrible job terrible oh, job boat bottoms or one you're you're trading your life because it the those chemicals getting in oh. you are 
so toxic so horrible it was horrible Ugh. and i even had the paper suit like they have that full paper yeah. suit that you put oh, yeah. on and i had a mask and it's still all that paint was just getting in my nose and my ears and my hair I, so every night i was taking a shower and all this blue or black or red paint was coming off in there oh yeah well and if that stuff gets on your skin all the chemicals are seeping into your skin like, oh yeah although i know i know quite a few people that do that without a mask Oh yeah, I know, right? Yeah, the, the cigarette old guy, hanging out of the yeah, mouth. Yeah, the old yeah. guy that uh, I painted boat bottoms with, he had the little paper mask over his face, and he would cut a hole into it and stick his pipe in there. <laughs> so he was smoking and sanding on his pipe, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, that guy. those things come back to haunt you know, later in life. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a good experience though. I learned a lot about boats. Finally, yeah. Um, like everyone there was really helpful. So I worked that job for probably two months. Um, and that was, you said, a Pearson? No, this no, was a Catalina this 27. This was a Catalina, okay. Yeah. And uh, it, that was a nice one because I had a Nissan 18 horsepower on the back. Oh, nice. So I didn't have to floor it all the time. I could just half throttle it, and it would do five knots. So that was my day. It would do five knots. I would spend 10 hours at the wheel oh, having to gosh. pee in the jugs because you couldn't get up. Yeah, it's just you. Yeah, just doing 50 miles a day, 50 miles a day, 50 miles a day. Same as the Pearson. Um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, I took that down to, uh, <laughs> made that down to Fernandina Beach. And then I met a couple of other boaters and they were like, we're going to the Keys. We're going to the Keys. And I was like, oh, nice. So I still had a probably almost a thousand bucks and uh so i didn't get a job in front of dina beach i just sailed with these guys and that was the first time i had really started to put up the sails on, oh, on the catalina wow. okay yeah yeah so i was going out like and, did you um, get like sailing books or anything like that um i had the sailing fundamentals book that i bought when i was taking the sailing lessons yeah yeah so um it so was, you had a little bit of knowledge yeah i had like, a little bit of knowledge what is this white triangle yeah and i was one of three boats so there was um a couple on this morgan 33 and the the guy would come and spend some time oh, with me on the shit. catalina 27 yeah. and just sail with me and finally um Sailed with those guys down until I got to about Vero Beach because they didn't want to go on the Intercoastal at all. So we always went out to sea. Yeah. So uh, I made it. I followed them until I got to about Vero Beach. And I was out probably 20 miles offshore. And the mass snapped. Oh, like no. it was leaning. I was, it was great. I was keeping up with all these guys. I had a little Kennelly to 27. So yeah, it was yeah. always like, difficult keeping up with them. But that day was just perfect. And I had them in my sights, and all of a sudden, like, I hear this strange noise, and I look up, and, like, two-thirds of the way up the mast, I see it, like, bend. And a split second later, the whole mast just it came down. Buckles. Oh, yeah, it no. just buckled, came down, and the spreader's, like, pounding against the hull. I thought the spreader was going to go right through the hull. So I ended up, I had wire cutters. And I ended up cutting all the cables around the boat. Yeah. And I'm, I'm watching it sink. And I was like, oh, you know what? I should have tied at least a rope to a cleat and tried to, like, save the sails. Because the, the mast, the boom, the sails, everything, the jib, yeah. everything. And it was in crystal clear water. So I could see it spinning and just oh, floating no. away. And I was like, oh, no. What have I done? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> one of the other boats, they were freaking out. So they called the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard ended up calling me on the radio. And it took probably three, three and a half hours to get into to wherever that in inlet is. I think it was Vero Beach. You just motored in, right? Yeah, motored yeah. in with the Coast Guard calling me every 15 minutes. Oh. So, And the radio was in the cockpit. So they kept calling me. And I'd have to like leave the tiller and run up to the radio. And be yeah, like, yeah, 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 I'm okay, I'm okay. And I would start you know, motoring again. And 15 minutes later, they would call me. And I finally get in. And I anchor, I get into the inlet and I go probably three quarters of a mile and I anchor and an FWC cop comes over and wants to do a safety check and ends up giving me a ticket for no anchor light because the mass was gone. I was so pissed. Yeah. It's like, well, um, and he knew he would, he was listening to the coast guard the whole time. He was like, yeah, oh, I told was, him that my mask yeah. is snapped. And he was like, Oh, you're the one. Yeah. I was listening to this the whole day. And he still gave me that ticket. He was out for blood. Mm -hmm. So I ended up, um, 
motoring it, um, the other two boats kept sailing. So I didn't catch them until I got to Miami. But I went back into the intercoastal, motored it all the way down to Miami, which was kind of nice because I didn't hit any of those bridges. I could go underneath oh, yeah, all those right? bridges instead of waiting. Because essentially, yeah, now you're a powerboat. <laughs> and you're just like, doodly. Yeah, and I went to uh, Dinner Key and I ended up getting a job at uh, some kind of rib place. I can't remember what it was. But I stayed there for like two months because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get a mask or right. how much it would yeah. cost. And I was anchored by Dinner Key. And um, I think it was Dinner Key or maybe it was the next island over. But another Pearson 26 had washed up on shore. And I was there for so long, all these boats would, would break loose and, and get washed up on shore. And every once in a while um, at the city marina, they'd bring these enormous dumpsters and these big cranes would go out on these barges and they just, oh, just grab these them. boats yeah. and put them on a barge and then they'd take them in and they'd go from the barge into these big dumpsters. So I knew this Pearson 26 was going to get demolished. So I went and asked a cop, hey, and it had the mast was already down and tied to the side of the boat. Yeah. So I asked the cop if I could get the mast. He's like, no, you can't touch those things. You can't even mess with them, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I was like, oh, all right. So I waited there another two days. And then at night... I swam over there in my snorkel gear and I untied that mask from the Pearson 26. <laughs> and I had another buddy naughty, with me that I had met there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Untied it. It was probably, we, we waited till about 11, 11.30. Untied the mast, um, tied a rope around my waist to the mast and just let the mast fall. We were probably in maybe 12 or 15 feet of water. Yeah. So I'd let the mast fall and it was the you know one one end of it was dragging along the ground and then one end was up in the water like tied to my hip oh my and i just gosh. swam that thing probably a half mile back to my boat and it took i i like we left at 11 30 or 12 and i got back just as the sun was coming up to my boat swimming all night with this mast trying to get it because oh it was gosh. the mast um, it was the mast. It was um, the boom was like tied, yeah, tied, yeah. tied to it, the and all the rigging was wow. on there. I didn't know if it would fit or not. It ended up fitting. But fuck, it, you didn't drag you under. Um, it well, it, you... really, it wasn't really that bad. It was just it was hard to drag it because half you know that the other end was dragging along the ground. Like my kingdom for a dinghy. Yeah, and I think I'm pretty <laughs> sure I had a life jacket on oh you must have there's no way you, you yeah because i yeah i must have not I even david resting. phelps <laughs> or no not david phelps uh, what is it mike phelps <laughs> yeah but i got it i got it back to the boat and i was so nervous that i was going to get caught because the sun was coming up and yeah, i didn't yeah. want anybody to see me so i finally tied it to the side of my boat and i took the anchor up immediately and i just got left out. out yeah went out into uh biscayne bay and then went out into hawks channel and just, you know, I kept going down. I had to stop one night, anchored out, and then I went into Marathon in the Keys, and I met up with my other buddies and drug this mast in. And uh, they had met a bunch of other boaters, and we met an old guy on a uh, um, Endeavor 40. Yeah, I think yeah. It was. And he, he was just a whiz. He was like, yeah, just pull that thing right up to the side of my boat. And we pulled it up to the boat, and he Use had rigged ropes on. Yeah. yeah, and we lifted the mast right next to his boat. Stuck it on there, and all the rigging fit. I had to turn the turnbuckles, you know, adjust the turnbuckles, but everything else fit. Um, <laughs> it didn't have any sails though, but at least I had the mast and the sails. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I was finally in Buki Harbor, and I, uh, I ended up staying there for about seven years. I bought. Oh wow. Yeah, I stayed there for almost a year on the Catalina Twenty Seven. Um, I got a job in Isla Mirada, so I left. Uh, boot key and i went to isla Mirada on the gulf side and anchored out there and i worked in a bar and i finally had like a real job like well it wasn't a real job but i would make two three hundred dollars average a night yeah and on the weekends i could make 500 bucks oh there you go so i but i lived on the boat there was no place to take a shower so every morning i'd jump in like in the ocean just yeah, yeah. lather up get ready go to work and i probably stayed there for maybe five months and saved up all the money I could. I mean, I got, I got to eat for free there. Um, yeah. Cause what was there, was there like an overarching sort of goal in mind? Uh, just to be like, in the keys really oh, just to get in the yeah, keys. Yeah. And wow. just to screw around and have money and, and be able to hang out. 
And um, yeah, so I saved up and I bought that Hunter 31 that I'm on now. And I took it back to Bootkey Harbor. And I ended up anchoring on the other side, on the Gulf side, over by a bar called Salty's. And uh, I met a buddy that I still know, another sailor buddy who had just bought a Grampian 26. And once I got it, I spent all the money on the Hunter 31. So I had no money left. I the one that money. you're on now. Yeah. I had yeah. to borrow money from my mom. So I had, not only did I have no money, but I had to pay her back. And that's when I started spearfishing. We actually made a Hawaiian sling. I went to the hardware store yeah. and bought the rubber, like the band. And we bought that's, that's just, isn't it? It's just basically a, a rubber strap, and then yeah, it was. Is, is there like a tube or anything? Yeah, it was a, um, it was a piece of PVC that, and we had put the caps on, and then drilled the holes. We had to buy the spears from the dive shop, but yeah. everything else we got from the hardware store. And it was really, it was the band, and we bought a little attachment that could slide around the band that held the spear on one side. Yeah, and then you would just put it in the the PVC tube. And w- through the drilled holes, and it would stick out both sides, and you could just bend it back and shoot it. Wow. And that's how we started spearfishing because I couldn't find a job in Boot Key for the longest time. We had no money. Uh, my buddy Temple had no money. So we would just. Man's got to eat. Yeah we, yeah. we learned where all the lobsters were, we learned where all the stone crabs were. Um, I remember the first night we came back, we went out in a dinghy and we went to all the lobster traps and we were, we'd go up to the floats and we just grab the floats and pull these things up oh and open God. up the traps and dump them in the dinghy. We Without had about, a, a clue of yeah, how illegal no it clue, is. No clue how illegal it was, <laughs> but we had about 70 lobster tails in our dinghy when we came back in. And That's so crazy. Yeah, ran into an old guy and he was the one who was like, dude, do you guys know what you just did? Like, yeah. not only do you have... 70 lobsters between two people when I, the season <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't we, even in season so <laughs> yeah, uh, even in season i think you can only get six yeah and half the lobsters we had were shorts he was like you guys would go to jail for 20 years <laughs> so we were like oh we don't care so we ended up having when a you're feast when that you're night. young you're a little dumb you don't think of that sort of stuff no, didn't luckily think of the statute of limitations is well <laughs> gone on those Oh crimes. yeah, that was good. <laughs> Nineteen, twenty years ago. So, oh my gosh! But we ended up having a feast that night. We were trading lobsters for like sides, like vegetables and sides from other boaters, and we were like, "Oh, this is a good idea." So from then on, <laughs> Bing! yeah, we were spear fishing, and it was it was super easy over there because all those islands had those mangroves around them. Yeah. So we would swim up to the edge of the islands where all the mangrove roots were. Oh, it's like a. a- fish nursery yeah i mean you could shoot snapper all day there's snapper grouper in there um i caught a i shot a couple of goliath grouper like the little baby ones but yeah. the baby ones are Still three and a half feet long 100 pounds yeah and they, they just filled a whole frying pan had no idea it was illegal to shoot those either but it was just a score when i could find those <laughs> And I'd get lobster tails, and uh, I'd end up trading the lobster tails for sides like rice or vegetables or with other boaters, or I would do little odd jobs to make uh, money. And I ended up doing that for about four months until I finally got a bartending job um, at a place called Salty's, right where I was near where I was anchored. And I worked there for a few months. So that that whole time you're just anchored out? Anchored out. Wow. Yeah, with no motor. I had a probably a 10 foot inflatable and we used a kayak paddle both of us had inflatables and we were both using kayak paddles because it's just such a pain to what'd you do for out. for fresh water were you just trying to catch it uh we would go to salties at the bar uh-huh. um there was a dinghy dock like it was a f- like a little fishing marina but it had this old like rundown dinghy dock that they would just let us come up and tie up to so we could bring our water jugs in there and fill them up he didn't care oh right yeah they were really cool thank god um because when you go around to the boot key harbor on the other side it was like five cents a gallon for water they were strict about where you could dinghy in you couldn't dinghy in anywhere and if you did it was like twenty dollars a day oh it's the worst i i've run into a few yeah docks where it's like you gotta check in at the office yeah ten (laughs) dollars what (laughs) yeah so, uh, yeah, that's why I stayed on the other side. Um, yeah, but I did that for a while, and that's how I ended up buying all the 
scuba gear and started cleaning boat bottoms. And I was actually, I was cleaning boat bottoms without scuba gear to begin with, because from spearfishing, I was with a lot of younger guys um, that could really, I mean, we'd go out to the reefs and these guys could go down 40, 50 feet yeah, and like yeah. stay down there. And I could get down there, but right away I'd want to come right back up because I didn't have any air. It's it's nerve wracking when you're, when you're really sort of trying to uh, push the limits of it. And it's, it's super dangerous. You know, there's that whole blackout thing where you can, you can think you got it. And then on your way up, you black out and then you're literally dead. Yeah. <laughs> so. Or you get, you get right up, you're about two or three feet and you, your body just sucks in water. You yeah, that automatic yeah, that impulse. trigger. Yeah, I did that a couple of times. Yeah, I forget. I forget exactly what they call it. They the um, in the the book, The Perfect Storm, they talk about it, and it's basically your brain uh, at a certain point when you're holding your breath goes, okay, holding my breath is definitely going to kill me. Maybe breathing in won't, yeah. and it just triggers this <laughs> yeah. response, and, and you, you have just breathe, to breathe in, and that's when yeah, you get the water in, and then you. Then you die. Yeah. Thank God I was right at the right at the surface. So I always came up and then just coughed for about five or ten minutes. Well, what do you what do you what's your favorite thing about spear fishing? You know, what 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 makes it because that that every time I've ever heard you talk about it, like your eyes sort of light up. There's a little glimmer, big smirk. Oh, it was like, great down there, uh, mostly because it was just a great way to eat. I mean, you always <laughs> had fresh. Yeah, I was always poor. It was a great way to get seafood and it was a great way to get exercise it was in the best shape of my life because i would spend four or five hours a day yeah in the fishing. water right? yeah getting lobsters to either trade or always have two or three to cook on the boat and like a couple of fish there were sheep's head there and it was just there was such an amazing variety of fish there there was yellowtail snapper mutton snapper uh the sheep's head there was snook uh grouper lion lionfish um, I wonder what it looks like nowadays. Well, it was around Buki Harbor and around Sombrero Reef. It's scarce. Like it was really hard to, to fish out there and catch yeah. a fish. Um, but a couple of times when we started going, um, especially when I started uh, cleaning boat bottoms and I would make decent money cause I would get, there was a cruiser's net at nine in the morning and it was a little radio show where all the boaters would get on channel 68. Oh yeah. And it'd be and like, do the buy, sell, trade. Sale. Yeah. There we go. So at the end of this show, um, whenever I was in Buki Harbor, I would, I would just tell everybody, Hey, I'm in Buki Harbor. I clean boat bottoms and two or three people, like, especially in the winter when it was packed, two or three people would be like, Hey, I want my boat clean. I want my boat clean. So I would spend maybe a week in Buki Harbor cleaning boats. And then I would take off and either go, uh, somewhere around Key West, go, going towards Key West, but always finding like a little desolate island. And we would spend maybe a week at an island. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Like the first day it was cleaning up trash. Because I don't know if they tell you this or not in the romantic brochures of the Keys. <laughs> but all those islands are ringed with trash from the ocean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you'd have to it. spend the first day like cleaning up your beach and where you wanted to stay. And we had tents. And we'd set them up. Um but would, then would the you take spear the fishing was off. Yeah, we'd take the oh, okay. take the the boat out and anchor it. Anchor and then just chill. Yeah, yeah. and then take the dinghies in, take the tents in. Set so them it's up. protected enough water where you're not gonna. Yeah, yeah. Um, if the wind was gonna blow, you would have to go around to the right side of the island. Yeah, you know, yeah. Go to the leeward side. Um, but that was really not that big of a deal. It, and it was so shallow there. I mean, it was tough getting close enough to the right islands. right trying to worm your way in there so yeah the whole the whole area was 12 to 18 feet so it wasn't like you know the seas weren't going to get really that big well and they and don't have the tides islands. like we do no up here, no, so. no not at all wow so yeah and then it was night and day between spear fishing around sombrero reef where everyone fishes and everyone the, like all the tourists go yeah, yeah. To going to these islands um that nobody goes to yeah just... especially this little place called the uh the marque marquee islands marquesas marquesas, marquesas. Yeah. yeah it was uh in between key west and the dry tortugas like this little it was, it was almost it almost looked like a volcano it was like a little circular pattern of islands and on the south side you could get up in between these two like cut off 
like in between the the ring of islands so we'd go up into there and you'd bump a little bit because <laughs> hunter drew like give her five some more juice feet. yeah so we'd bump around and we'd get up into this right in between these two islands and we anchored and spearfishing there it was crazy because we would go up to the mangroves and there were hundreds of snapper yeah so it went from trying to find a fish and diving down oh, to get it like which one to picking which one? one yeah right. picking the size you want and you could dive down into the channels and there were grouper and sheep's head in there uh there were stone crabs everywhere we um the first time i went there were three or four boats and we all went down there and we had these big steel bowls that were probably like two feet in diameter yeah and we would fill those with fried fish, lobster tails, and stone crabs every night. Yeah. What was what was sort and of the cooking? What what sort of kitchen would you set up on these little sandbar islands? Just cooking on the boats. Oh, just cooking yeah. on the boats. Yeah, just using the boats. Um, we had the little um, like a little grill. A little yeah, gas the little grill square grills. Yeah, a couple of people had those, so we would take those to the beach. But we usually cooked. Like the first time we went to the Marquesas, uh, a big catamaran went. So every night, everyone would go to the catamaran to eat. Right. And that's where we had all the food. And uh, But those the stone crabs were the size of your hand, those claws. Yeah. Well, and we man. had a bowl full of them. I mean, hundreds of dollars it would cost in Key West, like at a restaurant. Yeah. We had that every single night. We had uh. 20, 30 lobster tails and, you know, as, as many fish as we wanted to clean. Yeah, that, that's where it comes into. Yeah, there, I mean, it's the sea is can be very bountiful if, oh, you're, if you're in an area like that. I mean, obviously it's changing these days a bit, but there, uh, I ran into tons of people in the islands in the Caribbean. That's that's how they ate. Like, yeah, you'd be like, oh, you don't eat red meat. They're like, no, I eat out of the sea. I eat yeah. fish. I eat whelks. I eat anything and everything, but it all comes out of the sea. It was so random. We had steaks. Um, yeah, why, yeah, why bother with it? Why right, go right, buy those exactly. when you can have all this other stuff? God, that so. sounds like amazing adventure times. Oh, it was. Jeez. And I, you know, I was what I started when I was 28. So by the time I got to 131, I think I was in 33, 34. Right. And I ended up dating this little 21 year old girl. So that was kind of my midlife crisis. Instead of my red sports car, I just right. dated this little 21-year-old. So she would always come with us, and it was just – it was perfect. Nice, man. It was a fun time, yeah. Jeez. So, And you came out of it with your own business. Yeah, yeah. I ended up uh, diving boat bottoms. Um, like I said, I started diving boat bottoms, and I didn't even have air. I would just free dive between right. the boats just to practice because I wanted to get – I wanted to practice holding my breath so I could keep up with these young guys that were diving 40, 50 feet and staying down there right. for three minutes or, you know, it wasn't three oh, minutes, yeah, but they would stay down there forever. I never did catch up with those guys, but yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. There were, there's a few like sort of pro um, free divers down in the British Virgin Islands that I know and 60, 80 feet down there for definitely over three minutes it's like wow i don't know how they do it they, they would swim through like rock formations almost like little caves and you, with little gaps that you could see them swim through so you see parts of their body swimming underneath all these rocks and i was like there's no way i would swim 40 feet and then go and into then that, that yeah. and swim all through there and then come back up what they if were you amazing. like hiccup or if <laughs> <laughs> you burp and all of a sudden you're or like, get oh, stuck, <laughs> get stuck in the rock, like have to swim, oh, no, and then have to my, start backing your way uh, back. Uh, There's so are, many nightmares. Are sweating already. <laughs> well, did you, did you guys do any scuba when you're down there, or was it all just free diving? It was all free diving. I mean, I had scuba. We did a lot of uh, like the hookahs. We would have the compressors on the boat, and we would throw like a compressor, and we would. Uh, attach two 50 foot hoses on there yeah and then we just throw the regulators out and if you wanted to grab the hose while you were swimming or snorkeling or diving you could grab this hose and put it in and you could dive down 50 feet right with right. the hose so we had that always going um well when, when you do that do you have to still be sort of cautious about the nitrogen buildup in your body i don't think so i because no one stayed down that long 
You know, it was mostly going down there to try to get fish and coming back up. Right. Oh, At least okay. I hope not. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> I never I, had any problems. With I know it. when when I learned how to do scuba, and I've barely done any, so I'm not an expert by any means. But yeah, it was when we would do dives where we would go down to like 80 feet for a half hour, 45 minutes. We we definitely had to do like a slow resurface and maybe stop for a minute or so here you know yeah. nothing extreme but no we never i mean it was only a 50 foot hose and it's not like you go straight down you know you're always away from the boats the hose isn't going straight down it's going in kind of yeah, a, yeah. so we're in 18 or you, you, when you use the oh, hose yeah, and you're trying to get matter. water yeah I, when we use the regulators and we go down and we try to like tickle the lobsters out of underneath rocks or something like that mm -hmm. or you want to go down there and sit and wait for a fish to come by you can't go down that deep you're always you know it's always on a reef so i you know the deepest is probably 20 feet maybe right. 25 feet but yeah okay so yeah that's definitely not in any sort of danger zone <clears throat> that's crazy though man and now i mean yeah obviously you still got the setup here for for doing bow bottoms and stuff you ever thought about trying to do a little treasure hunting with that thing um, like Saint, yeah, Saint I always Augustine dream about it, that. but, um, that equipment is so expensive. Like buying those the metal toe behind sonar arrays to, you know, cause you have to really go out there and search distances. So they usually tow these really expensive, like metal detectors or yeah, sonar. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy expensive. And I think if you do find a treasure, you're going to be fighting the government right off the bat. Oh, They're going to want to come yeah, and take yeah. it. So no, it's I always dream about going and finding one and sneaking some gold coins away. But yeah, right. We we went to a lot of wrecks, but most of the wrecks around the keys are really just the stone ballast. Right, piles right, right. With maybe like an old old rotting piece of wood. There really wasn't any. Or I an never, anchor or a cannon or something. Uh, yeah, I never found anything like that. It was just always always the ballast rubbles um, on any of the dives. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of like big gas cans, like just really 12 by 12 feet square metal boxes that we used to always find because there'd be holes rotted out in them and there'd be lobsters, lobsters down in yeah, there or yeah. big fish <clears throat> like grouper would go down in there and hide. Um, I remember one time, uh, I think it was Boca Chica on the way to the Marquesas. There was, it wasn't an ancient shipwreck, but it was like some old freighter that had sunk mm -hmm. and we were swimming around there and we found uh one of the big goliath groupers i mean 900 pound goliath your arm off yeah and it was just resting alongside of this bow so we were swimming across and i go to the front of the ship and i turn around and all i see are these giant lips like these prehistoric fish lips that were wider than my whole head yeah and i freaked out and swam back and it was just this big ugly looking grouper well, they look like a like a bass like a largemouth bass yeah yeah it's crazy Be between that and a dinosaur yeah this thing could swallow there were three <laughs> of us swimming around when we saw that and i swear that thing could swallow all three of us whole if it wanted to but it didn't do anything it just sat on the bow like lazy didn't right. move there was another little baby sort of grouper that was probably 200 pounds another little goliath grouper that was swimming around it but that big massive guy just sat like right up snug against the bow of that boat and was just chilling well and think about because you're you're sitting there and it, it probably looked at you for a second and was like i'm not hungry yeah <laughs> that's how close you probably came to get especially in our black wetsuits yeah right. looked like a tasty little seal to that mm. thing and he was like nah i'm sleeping <laughs> well there's uh on so in the in the bvi there's there's anagata which is this big you know uh i think it's an atoll but it has this the horseshoe reef which extends off it for miles and miles it's huge and uh tons of shipwrecks there's like 300 they've only found maybe 100 of them or something but uh there's one you come across, and I've been there twice, where it was a an old ship, maybe 100 years old or something like that. So it was it was steam-powered. It had the boilers and everything, um, but they were it was a cattle ship. And so you, you get over this thing, and the, the actual thing broke, but the rudder and the stern is still there, and the anchor is still there, and then the boilers are there, and then it's just bones jaw bones and just all these bones oh, from all the animals wild. yeah yeah and <laughs> the thing i used to always think about because when you go out there now the only the only fish that's really around is just tons of barracuda but 
in my head, you know, a hundred years ago on that reef, which would have been just the most plentiful, beautiful, pristine thing in the world, the amount of sharks that would have just enjoyed 200 head of cattle being dumped into the oh, sea. Oh, can you imagine? What that would, oh my God, that would have been, been feasting there for a couple of days. Oh, dude, <laughs> it would have unbelievable. Because we, we had, the only thing close to that that I've ever heard of, and we didn't, I, I didn't get to witness it, but um, during one of, I don't know if it was one of the hurricanes or tropical storms, during the off season at the resort I was working at, the the power got knocked out and the guy who was supposed to be there wasn't there for the weekend he was off um and long story short all these freezers shut down they were holding you know all the frozen meat and all sort of stuff i mean tons of it for this resort and uh and the resort was closed at the time when they got back and found it obviously all the meat spoiled and they had to take i think it was like 10 or 15 huge garbage um like um 55 gallon drum size things filled with just meat and they went out and they ended up dumping it up on the reef and they said they didn't stay out there uh, which boggles my mind because it would have been just a feeding frenzy after like an hour but can you imagine having that much to be able to just dump in the water and just sit back and be like all right crack a beer let's watch this show oh i bet the water was just boiling around there like those big schools of fish when you see those guys come up and all the water just starts churning and boiling but it was doing that for a long time oh yeah well because and then those those sounds reverberate through the water and then you know everything hears that for probably 100 miles around and it's all coming right for it pretty crazy we used to at the at the end of the season one of the things we used to always do because there'd be two or three of us there waiting to fly back to the states and uh, whole resorts closed down all that stuff we'd always have a ham or a turkey and like a frozen one we'd, we'd drill a hole through it put it on a string and just hang it off the dock and within usually about two hours we usually would have like five to seven foot lemon sharks coming up just circling it just taking bites and that was always sort of the the entertainment night you know towards the end of the uh the season that was always really fun i wish we had something like that here but besides dolphins i don't think there's any there are, i've never seen any sharks up here in the river up here no i haven't i've heard that there were some um but i you know diving here you can't see anything anyway I've heard like big fish swim off. You know, I, when the big powerful fish, you can hear that. Yeah, yeah. And they take off. I've heard that a few times, but uh, nothing like in the Keys. In the Keys, I saw a lot of sharks, but, you know, I, the bull sharks, you'd see those big 12, yeah, 15 yeah, foot yeah. bull sharks, but they never like bothered with me. Um, when I was out on the reef, you could see them swim, but they never like paid attention. The manatees were the worst. Like, I would be cleaning boats in Bootkey Harbor, and the manatees were curious. So they would come up, and it was the only time I ever, like, freaked out and, and swam and got out of the water because this huge manatee comes up, and then it turned around, and it flipped its tail up like it was going to piss on me. or, or do <laughs> It was just the weirdest thing. And I was like, I don't know what this thing is doing, but I'm getting out of here before yeah, right? I get sprayed with something. I don't know why they do that, but it happened two or three times. These big manatees would come and either just swim around or they'd come up to you and with their tail and hey, flip it up. Hey, friend. Yeah. It was what are you the strangest doing? thing. I mean, they're the most docile creatures, you know. Yeah. It's, just, it's the fact that they weigh, what, a thousand pounds? <laughs> yeah. They're enormous. Like, whoa. Have you ever, like, threw a garden hose when they come up to the docks? I've seen videos of that, but no, I've, I've never yeah, been able to do People used it. to do that all the time. They'd throw these garden hoses out and turn them on, and those things would sit there with, like, chomping on the garden hose 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, how much water can these things? drink it was just amazing they were there for the longest time sucking on those garden hoses getting all that fresh water yeah well you got to kind of think so these things are are in it's not completely salt water it's more like a mix where they live right yeah yeah it was like brackish well i mean a couple of zoologists over here (laughs) yeah well you know typically the man was about 13 percent i would say manatee stick my finger in and lick it and i could tell you (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean how how would they uh, do they even need to get water yeah they have to get fresh water pure fresh water 
Um, or can they somehow drink the, the, the brackish water? And I don't know where they go to get... They must get fresh water from a runoff somewhere. They must know where to go to get they, fresh do, water. I know plenty of people who don't drink fresh water. Humans, they drink Diet Coke. Yeah. And they're like, no, there's water in that. <laughs> yeah. All right, bud. Or beer. <laughs> My head hurts all the time. Yeah, yeah let's get some water down there. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, that's why uh, that was another thing that we probably shouldn't have done. No one wants you to throw your garden hoses in there because uh, there's so many boats going in and out through there. They don't yeah. want the manatees getting hit by propellers. Right, so right, like, right. Don't, don't feed them your garden hose water. Well, and that's, yeah, that's the sad thing. Whenever you see videos of manatees, even on, you know, nature shows and stuff, I, I don't think I've ever seen one that doesn't have the scars on its back. Yeah, I've never seen one without They've the scars either. They've all got that just crisscrossed. It's like, oh, man. Yeah, all of them. <clears throat> even the babies. Like, a lot of the little baby ones had little chunks taken out of their back with those little scars. Jesus, so, yeah. man, they're... Well, they're too uh, they're too big to too get big out of the slow. way fast enough, but you know, obviously, they get out of there pretty quick because they got you know a, a a propeller of a boat that's going pretty fast is only in the water about a foot and a half. I was hit by a dolphin one time, like I pissed the dolphin off for some reason. I I thought it was so cool because those are so fast. You only see little even in in Buki Harbor where the visibility was a lot better than here. You would just see them kind of dart by in the corner of your eye and look around. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, this dolphin, like, starts slapping the top of the water with its tail. Like, it's slapping, slapping, slapping. I'm like, what the hell is going I've seen on that with this thing? go on down by the bridge. Yeah, and I didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, that thing hit me with its nose right in my leg, gave me the worst dead leg. Oh, I mean, really? Yeah, those things are so powerful. I mean, it was worse than a shark, I bet. It just came by and just went wham and then sped Took off. off. Yeah, my leg hurt for weeks. I mean, I oh god, I couldn't. Wow, you got attacked by a dolphin. That's yeah, pretty or rare. it just hit me by mistake. I don't know what it was doing, but I think it was no, pissed there's, off because no when they mistake. slapped their tails like that, something was going on. Yeah. Um, a lot of people say when they get like hooked, um, like the spare lures, they'll get them caught, and then they get all pissed off when they get like old fishing line, oh, old, old lures. Yeah, yeah. Like sometimes that pisses them off, but something made this thing mad, and it just nailed me while I was playing <laughs> this boat and took off. There are hazards the to be had. But I tell you, honestly, my, my least favorite thing about cleaning the bottom of my boat is, is getting all those little shrimp. Those little oh, yeah. krill size, <laughs> I don't know what they are, but they, they look yeah, like little fleas. Oh, man. And they, they, they're all over you. If you've got chest hair like I do, I mean, they just get in there. They're in your ears. Oh, Luckily, yeah. they, they seem to come off you know, pretty easily when you, you have a, a hose or whatever. But Yeah, you can spray them off. I get covered in those all the and time. And they start sort of, I don't know if they're biting or they're just sort of scratching, but after a while, it does. Yeah, like, they, I think they're hooking into you with their tails. or you know, However they cling to something, they'll do that on your skin. They'll hook their little tails into you. Well, because they, they must be, again, you know, obviously we're experts, but they, I bet you they're eating some of the skin off of you, like the flakes. You know how, like, well, it seems like all tiny animals just want to eat the flaking skin that's coming off of our bodies. <laughs> yeah. It's true, though. But it's a delicious treat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I wear a wetsuit and the hood. I always wear the hood because when I do when I do boats monthly, it doesn't get so bad. You know, you'll get a couple of them on you. It's not really bad. But when I go and do boats that haven't been cleaned in six or seven months, I mean, head from toe. You're just oh, yeah, covered in the crab. Fiddler crabs, too. I mean, even the fiddler yep. crabs are on you because I'm spraying all those off my wetsuit all the time. <laughs> and you have to get used to it because they'll crawl around your goggles. Uh, I mean, I have that I hood know, on. It feels but that, yeah, so and they'll get gruesome. in underneath your nose, <laughs> like uh, right between your mask I'm and the regulator. I'm starting right now. <laughs> I do. You those just things. have to get used to it. Well, and I, so when I cleaned mine last time, uh, you know, going around trying to find any spots I missed, I would feel the side of the boat and I could just feel instead of the moss that was there it's just covered in those shrimp yeah already. yeah they stay they, like, they don't yeah. want to leave like once you clean the boat a lot of times especially those old boats that i've been cleaning a long time i'll clean the boat and it'll still look dirty because all those krill just go back to that clean hole and they'll just stick and you can just wipe them off yeah, like dust yeah. and they, yeah. they're just like well i'll stick they on love you it. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you, man, it's been it's been awesome to uh, get to know you down here since last year. Because last year was my first year here at Ladies Island. And then this is the second year. Are you thinking uh, how, how you think you'll be here for a long time? Or what are you thinking? No, I think I came here because my mom, she lived in Denver. And when she retired, she told me, hey, I'll move to the East Coast. We didn't live in the same town for the last 20 years. So she's like, if I move to the East Coast somewhere, can we live in the same town? And I was like, yeah. And she had to pick Beaufort. So I came from the It's a pretty place. To Beaufort, yeah. You can go sit on the Forrest Gump bench. <laughs> you can go to the big chill house. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Be <laughs> Beaufort's okay, I guess. I think I've been here too long. Um, especially, and that's another thing when you start cruising, never go to a dock. Cause that boat had never been to a dock except to get fuel. It was always on a mooring ball or anchored out. Yeah. And I was, I, I was excited to come here and, and get a dock for the first time, but that was four years ago. And it has the allure left. of amenities, yeah. showers, air conditioning, bathrooms, <laughs> cooking facilities, not having to row or at least get in a dinghy with a motor and, you know, go to a dock every time you, you leave the boat. Um, you don't, you know, you don't go to shore as often when you're anchored out or on a motorboat. No, boat. not at all. Not like it's, it's a different, I mean, there's, I think there's, there's definitely pros and cons. I did a ton of anchoring when I was in the Caribbean and you're granted, you're in some little cove. It's absolutely gorgeous. You can snorkel, you can do all this sort of stuff. If I was anchored down the river here, I'd probably be, freaking going a little bit crazy at this point and i know people who have you know they they're like yeah i'm gonna anchor because it's free and they're by themselves and then all of a sudden two weeks later they're you know pulling their teeth out you know, hey whoa guy you need a night night on the town or something yeah <laughs> but, no i i love being on the dock i because i like the community i mean and i like i obviously i like the amenities and sort of stuff but i i just like being able to walk off of this thing and go stand on on the earth yeah yeah it's it's much nicer and pretty soon as it as we're finally what today it must have hit almost 70 degrees today right yeah it, would you say that we are in the beginning of spring uh, definitely here yes. for sure. Okay. It'll, I think maybe there'll be one more cold snap. Adam said there was only going to, he said the last one was the last one. Uh, he might be right. I it hope It gets so. hot here quick. It does. Because I, last year I was stuck in Michigan because uh, I was on the book tour and then COVID and all that. And then I didn't come down here until they lifted the quarantine restrictions in May. And when I got down here, it was 89 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> what i left and it was 35 and oh. now it's 89 but i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to barbecuing and hanging out on the porch up there and complaining yeah. about the bugs instead of the cold <laughs> that's what i'm looking forward to they're coming don't worry Ugh, i think man. it's hotter here than in the keys i think here sometimes in, in yeah. like baltimore in the dc area or maybe it's just being on the dock and not being in the constant breeze all the time. Like That's you are a down huge there. factor because the people used to come down to the islands and they would, they, they'd go from New York where it was a hundred degrees and they'd get down there and it'd be 82 and the wind is blowing. So people would be like, wow, how is it this temperature in August? I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, so it's trade winds. They keep it nice and cool. That's, that was always sort of the secret of, a lot of the Caribbean islands, because people just assume that after May, it's going to be blistering heat down there because you're so close to the equator. But it's not. You have this wind that just constantly blows and it cools yeah, everything off. It so. makes a huge difference. I never thought about having an air conditioner while I was down here, down at the Keys or uh, anywhere else. But here, it's I couldn't imagine going through a summer without having an air I, conditioner. Honestly, I thought about that too, but I... And I, I'm not here, obviously, for the summer, but, you know, by the time May comes in, it's it's pretty hot. But I just I prefer just moving air as long as I can get a fan ripping through this boat, then I'm I'm cool with it. Like I can I can take the heat. But like the world's largest box fan. That, well, <laughs> it, it, my my little fan fits perfectly in the forward hatch. So when I turn that on full and I blow it out. It just sucks air through this boat, and oh, like if you stand right nice. here in this in this little gap, it's it's like it's like standing in a twenty knot breeze. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. I need a bigger boat. Yeah, right. It's time to move up again. <laughs> 
Well, guess what? We're already getting to an hour, sir. You've done your penance. Chris, uh, little little inside thing. We we moved a pop machine, which weighed about 800 pounds. 830 pounds dry. Oh, my gosh. And I can only <laughs> assume they do that so that they don't fall over on people. But we got her moved. We got her maneuvered. She's Through ready for sale. Through gravel, over it, steps. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we only took it, what? Uh, how many feet? 250 uh, feet? Easily 300 <laughs> feet. Oh, and it just wore us out. Yeah, no, that was tough. But uh, <laughs> so Chris, Chris uh, was good enough to oblige me and come on this podcast. But uh, I do really appreciate it, man. You're one cool dude and you got a heck of a lot of stories. I'm sure we'll probably get a request to do some more because uh, I feel like we just scratched the surface <laughs> of some of the insanity that is Chris. But... Yes, there are all kinds of stories. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, do you want to plug anything? I don't know. Uh, I I keep it, uh, you know, I've, I'm just going to use your first name if you don't want the uh, past of 20 years ago to come haunt you. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't really it. need to plug anything. Unless uh, someone's coming through Beaufort and you need your bottom cleaned. I have no, no podcasts or not online anywhere so i really have nothing to plug i haven't written any books yet hey not yet (laughs) sounds like you could though (laughs) but if you need your bottom cleaned or you need your boat moved give me a call yeah what's buford what's the name of the the bottom cleaning business below the water line below the water line Mm -hmm. we do fine below the water line (laughs) we can do a little uh you know a little chime about it (laughs) all right brother well i really appreciate it and uh Yeah, I guess other than that, thanks for listening. No problem. I'll uh, come back and do it when I need that pop machine moved again. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Big thanks to Chris for coming in on the show today. And I also want to do a special shout out to my two patrons that are keeping this show moving. And uh, hopefully there will be some more interviews coming very shortly. Thanks for listening.